it's this amazing opportunity to tell your students and try to tell the story together as a class that we're going to do this in the target language, um, that it's totally feasible, um, that this is what circumlocution is, and you could play a game to kind of introduce them to that idea, um, and then just talk a little bit about how we can do this. It's going to feel really frustrating, but it's going to be okay. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Kelly Moore, PhD candidate in the Department of Romance Studies at Cornell, describes her process of integrating the target language more deeply into her beginner-level language courses, both in person and online. Hello, Speaking of Language listeners. Welcome to a new season of our podcast. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. We hope you are settling into the new year and that you are all healthy and happy. We are excited to kick off our seventh season with guest Kelly Moore. Kelly is a PhD candidate in the Department of Romance Studies. She works on contemporary Iberian cultural studies and teaches Spanish language and literature courses. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Kelly. Thank you. Kelly, in your language teaching, you use some innovative ways to stay in the target language from the get-go. Before we dive into these strategies, please tell us a little bit more about your background and your journey with languages. My journey with languages um, started in a monolingual English-speaking household. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think... I think I have a memory of where the journey started, but I also know that I have probably mythologized this in my own (laughs) mind. Um, But I have a memory of being maybe six or seven years old, and my grandfather gave me a Spanish-English dictionary, and I think I was transfixed by the fact that my language had these correspondences to words Mm. in some other code. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it was an accumulation of many other things, but I think I just knew that I really was going to learn Spanish one day. And I went to college, and they have this thing called study abroad that many people have taken advantage of. But I was like, okay, now I can do it. Now I can learn Spanish. And so I spent a semester in Guayaquil, Ecuador. And it was actually through a program at Binghamton Community College. So now that I live in Ithaca, Mm -hmm. it's kind of cool that I'm near that again. But I was at the University of Wyoming at the time, and I spent a semester in Ecuador. And I really think that I got addicted to the successes and frustrations of trying to speak another language. Mm-hmm. And when I came back, it changed my course. You know, I became more interested in, in studying Spanish at the University of Wyoming. Um, but because of that experience and then also graduating and just knowing that I did not speak very well, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you kind of get there and you when you get better, you just realize like how complex and multifaceted being competent in the second language really is. Um, So I was trying to find a way to go back. And someone at the university said, why don't you apply for a Fulbright English teaching assistantship? Mm -hmm. And so I was all set. I was like, okay, I'm going to apply for Columbia. And the Fulbright advisor said, you know, there's only three spots there. Hmm. Why don't you think about Spain? Because there's so many um, scholarships. 
And I mean, that kind of speaks to like how we structurally push students towards Europe rather than Hmm. places like Latin America. Um, But that ended up being my experience. I got a Fulbright ETA in Madrid and it was absolutely wonderful. Very dear to my heart. Um, I stayed for two years working at a bilingual high school in the southern part of the city. Um, And now I'm a PhD candidate in romance studies teaching Spanish. Awesome. Let's talk a little bit about your strategies for staying in the target language as an instructor and helping students do the same while they're learning. Sure, 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 sure. Um, well, um, I don't, I don't study second language acquisition. Um, so these are things that I have just, you know, gathered from language teaching workshops and mm-hmm. from some language acquisition classes that I've taken, but then also teaching, I ended up teaching Spanish at the University of Wyoming, and I've taught at Cornell, and I've, I taught at CPEP, and so kind of, and then teaching in Madrid, and so the, the when I reflect on these experiences, what I think are really valuable um, are, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I just want to say three things. So the first one is that there are moments that you have in teaching where you get to frame how this experience is going to go. And those moments that are really important in my eyes, and I think most teachers' eyes, are the syllabus day. Mm -hmm. And then you have a repeating moment, I think, every day before class starts to do it again. Um, And so with syllabus day, it's this amazing opportunity to tell your students and try to tell the story together as a class um, that we're going to do this in the target language, um, that it's totally feasible, um, that this is what circumlocution is, and you could play a game to kind of, you know, introduce them to that idea, um, and then just talk a little bit about how we can do this. Mm-hmm. It's going to feel really frustrating, but it's going to be okay, and mm-hmm. it's going to be fun, and it's going to be worthwhile. Yeah. Um, so I think... That's really important, syllabus day. And then that moment before class starts when students get there and, you know, the the I think that sometimes we forget, like, how high stakes being in a class can feel to students mm. who, for whom their GPA really does affect them. Sure. Um, but the, the opportunity to misdirect a little bit away from that and make it just about talking to them and creating, engineering these successful communication um, moments, you know, like asking them to write on the board. I know this is really um, not a very big deal, but like in a, in a first semester language class, in the first and second and third day, you can you can tell someone to do something in in the target language and get them to understand what you want them to do, and and you know, kind of making sure that those moments happen mm-hmm. um, between them and between you and the student mm-hmm. um, are really important. Um, and then what the, the other thing that I think is really key um, is remembering how scary it can be to be in a language classroom at the yeah. very beginning. And I think it's scary for everybody, whether you've taken lots of language classes or this is the very first encounter you're having with this experience. It's just remembering that when you structure activities to give them as much support as they need to have a successful interaction where they do negotiate meaning. And then the last thing that I think I would say is um, when we think about staying in the target language, I don't think that for me, 
the goal of 100% um, works. So yeah. the goal is maybe, for me, maybe like 95 or 98%. It's still very high in my own personal philosophy. But um, just knowing that there's going to be a moment where it breaks and mm-hmm. thinking through how you want to interact with that. Um, so, you know, kind of like lots of language teachers give students a safety word, you know, where they freeze and they can say, ah, help me. You know, mm-hmm. their, their peers can jump in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you as a teacher um, do that thing that we, that some of us do sometimes where you give poor instructions or you're not sure that people know when the test is, or there's something, you know, that you, or when you know that there are other languages would help them understand mm-hmm. this better by translating or something. Yeah. Um, when you do that, ask your students permission for you as the instructor to speak English mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're accountable to you, but you're accountable to them. Sure. And this is a sacred pact that, you know, we mm-hmm. make together. And so just showing your own respect for that, I think goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. What is your safety word? Socorro. <laughs> what does um, that mean? It's like help, help, you know, kind of mayday. <laughs> nice. Kelly, circling back to the second strategy that you mentioned and the importance of the beginning of each class session, have you noticed anything different in how that works in the online environment since we've been teaching virtually for a while now compared to when we saw our students face-to-face? Is there a difference? Did you adjust that strategy of what you do at the beginning? Yes, yes. And I think, you know, I think I'm still maybe all of us are kind of so close to this moment that I don't know that I've reflected Mm -hmm, on really how it's changing the class. Um, But I was really worried about it. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that the language resource centers class this summer um, was absolutely fabulous. And not only was it very practical, but I think that it did that thing that I think is really important, which was it framed it as possible. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel like, it was going to be okay. Um, and it really was okay. But with these moments at the beginning of class with Zoom, that's hard. It's really hard because nobody wants to show up early. Um, <laughs> but I think, I think it, so it hasn't, it hasn't, no, it isn't where I think it could be. I can still work on it. But there's been a couple things that have worked really well. Um, in, in, in person teaching, sometimes I play like a word game before class starts. Um, and I think it's great because like the people who want to participate can participate, but it's not part of the class. So if you just want to listen, it's okay. Um, and so I tried to replicate that on zoom where, you know, if you, if you come 10 or 15 minutes early, um, maybe we could play that pangram game. You know, the New York times has the spelling bee thing, Uh you know, when you, you make the words, you know, you can do that in a physical classroom, but it works really well in the chat, you know, using a vocab word, put it on the PowerPoint, you know, when you get to class, put as many words that you can think of with mm-hmm. the letters here. What is the pangram? What is the vocab word? So doing those kinds of things and just like making it chill um, and, and trying to do things where everyone can participate because Zoom does yeah. reduce your time. Um, so I think Maybe what I'm trying to say is that, you know, it's still possible, it's different, um, but that this online modality doesn't at all mean that those kinds of things aren't also possible. You taught a jumpstart course at Cornell uh, in Spanish for a parent course in molecular diagnostics. How did you introduce technical vocabulary fully in the target language? 
oh yeah, tactical vocabulary. It's like, it was really wild for me to teach this class because it was a lot of vocabulary that, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't know about um, sure. these machines. Actually, you know, the technical vocabulary thing was a real gift because um, I was teaching this class that was about molecular diagnostics and had this lab component where students are taking samples from plants and running magical DNA tests and finding out if they have viruses. <laughs> and the I inherited a corpus because uh-huh. there were two lecturers in my department who taught this class before, and they had um, some vocab that, that had been identified as important. And I actually was really lucky because I had a student um, in my literature class who had done this mm. class and gone to Chile before and mm-hmm. talking to her about this was really, really valuable. Um, but I, um, with the benefit of hindsight, I know that I would do lots of things differently, but something that I learned maybe like the fifth day, <laughs> halfway through the mm-hmm. class, is that the technical vocabulary is the binding force of the class. Like the mm-hmm. students' knowledge that they share, because they're all awesome scientists in these lab classes, um, is the thing that they can actually co- talk about with a lot of competence. It's like, you know, we're sometimes, you know, you're in a language class and you're like, okay, so what is the thing that we all share that is the thing that we can like build our scaffold on, you know? And it's like, okay, we're all at Cornell, so we can ask a question about the university president or we can ask mm-hmm. a question about Ithaca. It turns out that the technical vocabulary, that they all know it. I don't. They know it. And yeah. so building the the... Uh, the class around the fact that they all they need to do is learn the word, and that's mm-hmm. not hard for them. A lot of times it's a cognate. Um, and letting that be kind of like the shared knowledge that is the entry point into the language was actually really cool. Mm-hmm. And, and I, when that clicked, I think I, my lessons got better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I do have to say, Kelly, I observed one of your classes. I thought it was just really amazing how you delivered this entry-level Spanish, like, preparation for a study abroad program class. You delivered it entirely in the target language with this complex vocabulary that I know nothing about. The students were engaged. They were on task. You know, you could you could see how much fun they had and just what type of a community, like a nice community it was already before they were all going to go on the study abroad program together. So um, that really stood out to me. So have you noticed any effects on your students when you're using more of the target language in the classroom that maybe they're used to? Like, do students ever comment on, you know, why why are you always speaking in Spanish? Or do they just take this all in stride? Has, has anything like that ever come up? I think that... In general, my experience teaching at this particular institution, at Cornell, mm-hmm. has been that students take things in stride. Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. are hungry and they want to be good at things. And, you know, they, they have very high standards for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think it has been very easy to just establish this norm of mm-hmm. staying in the, in the target language. But there, you know, but there are students, especially transfer students, especially freshmen, I think, 
where they've come, where they've already had an experience um, learning a language in a classroom, and this is a little bit different, and it's a little bit uncomfortable, and maybe there's a little bit of resistance, but I think that it doesn't take them very long to see the benefits of it, to start to, you know, be like, oh, wow, I really did speak in Spanish today, and it's working. Um, so I, you know, I'm a little biased, but I, I think <laughs> that once they get over that, like, discomfort and i think that that's actually part of it is we're trying it's a good discomfort you know it's kind of mm -hmm. this encounter with the fact that you don't have the advantage of speaking your language and that's actually what's really powerful about it um so i my impression is that they like it even and and that being aware that there is that shock and and yeah. um being willing to kind of listen to someone's maybe um upset about that at first is, sure. is important. Yeah, yeah. Have you noticed any changes with the shift to the online modality in how much you use the target language versus maybe also how much your students use it? Or do you think you have maintained, you know, the same structure of, of how you and your students actually use Spanish? That's really interesting. I think that I have found it more difficult to be in front of the screen and maintain the target language. I have tried and I have mm -hmm. been, been largely successful, but I have noticed a desire to break into English that I don't think huh. was there for me before. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, you know, I think it might be just kind of um, worried about time management or worried sure. that, not being not being able to be sure that mm -hmm. it landed mm -hmm. um but i also have been very pleasantly surprised at how absolutely fine it has been like i'm teaching i was teaching last semester a fourth semester language course so it's students who are actually very good and they mm -hmm. can say lots of things and they're kind of used to this already um and they didn't break into English. They, you know, they were very gung ho about participating. So I, I haven't, I don't think that the class has really changed that much, but I do think that I've noticed kind of more fatigue on mm -hmm. my part and I assume their part for kind of mm -hmm. maintaining it online. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, understandable. So do you have any a final piece of advice for instructors who want to use the target language more, especially at the beginning level? Yes, I have. Okay, I have two things, if, if I can say both of them. Absolutely. Um, okay, so first of all, I'm, maybe I should acknowledge that I, I'm kind of swimming in the doxa of target language. Like, maybe maybe I should question some of my own assumptions about <laughs> the value of the target language, because I am, like, a very pro this. Um, but I do I do think that there's um, maybe maybe some something very important about questioning those assumptions. Um but if you are interested in teaching more in the target language, first I would say maybe just do a little check-in with your own story of, of how you're teaching and in what language and what you think mm -hmm. is possible and what your own kind of block is. Um, because telling that story to yourself and then telling the story to the students about how this is going is very important. And then the other thing that I think is really, really, really important is to take a language class. Mm. Um, you know, 
I think that some of the most valuable things for my own teaching and seeing how people do things um, mm-hmm. has been to take a beginning language class again in a language mm-hmm. that I don't know anything about and remembering how hard some of it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a very good piece of advice. It's humbling. It's good to remember. Wonderful. Well, Kelly, before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share your favorite word in a language that you speak, that you love, that you are learning, that you want to learn. What is that favorite word? Okay. Um, there, there, there could be so many answers. There could be so many <laughs> answers. Um, and I, I've chosen something maybe kind of weird. Um, there's a word that I love that I don't necessarily love, but I, that I love to talk about in the classroom. And so I think it's, I think it's negocio, which means business in Spanish. And I, I love, I love this word because it's a, it's a word that contains a world, like so many words. Um, and if you look at it and you help the students kind of get to the point of analyzing this word is what it means is the negocio, the negation of ocio, and ocio is leisure. And so the fact that the word business shows us kind of what business takes from us and and what all this productivity takes from us, you know, when we could have leisure and um, and, you know, learning and things like this for their own sake, I think, I think, and students, you know, respond well to it is it's a fun, it's a fun discovery. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's great. And thanks so much for speaking of language with us, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. And also thank you for this podcast. I have learned such cool things listening to these episodes. Wonderful. Oh, that's, that's so nice to hear. Next week, Dustin Crowther will join us on Speaking of Language. Dr. Crowther is an assistant professor of second language studies at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. He is our first guest this semester as part of the monthly LRC speaker series. Dustin's talk, titled Addressing Speech Comprehensibility in the L2 Classroom, was held on Zoom earlier this week, and the video can be found on our website at lrc.cornell.edu. And, of course, you can listen to next week's episode online. Until then... The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners, and do stay tuned for our next episode.